0: Lock Talk Radio. Welcome to the Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart. Since 2010, the most listened to radio show in the nonprofit sector dedicated to helping your charity succeed. It's no secret that combining online and offline techniques is the key to fundraising success, and practical nonprofit management advice is what you need. The Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart is the perfect landing point to learn from top experts around the world who provide advice you can use. Ted Hart is without a doubt one of the foremost nonprofit thought leaders. Also a successful author, his books range from successful online fundraising to expert nonprofit management. Guests on The Nonprofit Coach are leaders in their field who share their insider tips and trade secrets in a conversational style both the experienced and novice will benefit from. Ted lectures around the world, but now he's here for you. From the latest in charity news, technology, fundraising, and social networking, Ted and his guests help you and your organization move to greater levels of efficiency and fundraising success. This is a live call-in show. Add your voice by calling 347-324-3080. After the show, you can find all our podcasts at tedhart.com. Click on the radio links. Don't forget to dial 347-324-3080. Now, welcome the host of The Nonprofit Coach, Ted Hart.
1: And welcome here live to the latest edition of The Nonprofit Coach. Thank you for being my guest uh, here today. Uh, We've got a very important show and particularly... For anybody who needs to ask for uh, financial support, support for your organization, you are in the right place today because we have the expert in making the ask. Laura Fredericks uh, is here with us today. But for those of you who are familiar with our show, you know we always start with page one news. And today we have uh, as our page one uh, news uh, expert, uh, Jen Bokoff is here with the Foundation Center Minute. Jen, what are the updates over at the Foundation Center?
2: Hey, Ted, great to be back. Um, I have a couple of updates. The first is actually for your international listeners, because I know you have quite a few. Uh, Two weeks ago with WINGS, the Worldwide Initiative for GrantMaker Support, we launched a new version of the Global Philanthropy Data Charter. And part of what's so exciting to me about the revised version of the charter is that it was actually co-created with more than 40 partners from 20 different countries with the idea at the center of who is contributing data and who is using data in the sphere of philanthropy. So it's much more user-friendly and actionable than the previous version was, and it really looks at answering through data two driving questions in philanthropy, which are who's funding what and where, and how can I know what others know? So simple, important driving questions, and the charter essentially offers a structure for organizations and countries to get behind in strengthening their commitment to collecting and sharing data on a global level. So that was one update that's, I wanted to share.
1: That's terrific. And we have uh, posted uh, for uh, those who are watching us today over on Facebook, uh, you can follow us at facebook.com forward slash Ted Hart. Uh, and we've just posted the global uh, data charter uh, on, uh, on our, uh, our feed here today so that folks
3: will have that. Perfect.
2: And then I have two more links for you um, to two new bodies of data that we released also in the last couple of weeks. One is around disaster philanthropy, and that's obviously and sadly especially relevant right now. And the other is around funding blackmail achievement, which is a funding area that we've been tracking for the last several years. And so both of these are, are research that we do in conjunction with different partners. The, the disaster philanthropy work is with the Center for Disaster Philanthropy, and the work on Black Male Achievement is, of course, done alongside the Campaign for Black Male Achievement. And so um, both of these build on path to research and show some interesting trends, um, Just maybe to highlight one data point to whet your appetite from each of those. Um, From disaster philanthropy, overall funding dollars actually decreased in 2015, um, but there were more grants that were distributed. So, in 2015, there were actually 202 funders who awarded 740 grants. Um, compared with 162 funders in 2014. Um, And the Ebola crisis probably obviously attracted the highest level, which was 20% of support. So it's kind of interesting to see how that plays into the data set um, and and what we can maybe learn from the historic data as we apply to real-time giving now. Um, And then from the black male achievement data set, um, just something that I I find interesting and good to see is that um, education continues to be a top priority of grants that are explicitly designated to support black males, followed by human services and public safety. So data like this is really helpful for your nonprofit listeners to help look at who some of the top funders are in these areas and where a lot of the support is going. And then for funders, you can use this data to see who else is funding in your space and who some of those top recipients are and also where some of the gaps may be. So you can look on one hand at these top categories of support, but then that also illuminates what's not being funded. So good utility of the data all around.
1: So it's Um, helpful for both those who are seeking funding, but also those who are giving, uh, because you can identify, uh, if you're seeking funding, who's interested in that topic area. Uh, And if you're a funder and you're looking to uh, make a difference um, uh, in the gap areas, for instance, uh, you're able to identify those through the data. That's right. And it's...
2: It's our hope that the sector will become much more connected and much stronger and smarter by actually looking at this data and using it to inform decision making. Because if you don't know what else is happening in the field, you might not be contributing dollars or structuring your own implementations or approaches in quite the right or most needed way. So we're really hopeful that organizations on all sides of the table can tap into the data uh, and use it to advance and inform their work.
1: Okay, perfect, perfect. And we posted the the, the blackmaleachievement.org link as well just for, for you to be aware.
2: Oh, terrific. And I can, um, I'll message you my other links if you want to post those as well. Um, terrific. And then the last big update that I was going to share probably leads into your page two guests very nicely um, because I was just going to mention all of our end of year webinars that are taking place, which are largely around how to secure resources to advance your goals and Um, Some of the topics include um, how to find and win technology funding. That's on the 9th, Um, so coming up right around the corner. Um, There's a great webinar on December 19th called Getting Donors to Call You Back. Um, And then one that I'm really interested in, this is actually in the new year, but I still think of it as coming up soon, which is um, the surprising connection between fundraising and workplace culture. Um, so, that'll be coming up in January. So, um, for a full list of all of our webinars, you can always go to grantspace.org. Um, but we have some really good ones coming up. And one more teaser that you all can tune into our social media for is this year, for the first time ever, Foundation Center is going to do a sort of live annual report. So I won't okay. tell you more about what that is, but I'll tell you that it's happening in December, and we'll be posting about it on our social media fairly soon, and it'll be open and free for everyone to attend. So stay tuned for and that. And, of course, you're, well. you're
1: going to make sure that you come back here on the Nonprofit Coach and make sure you tell us all about this report. That sounds really Uh, Quite exciting. Uh, And just for you to to know and for our listeners, those who are following us over on Facebook, we have posted the grantspace.org training calendar uh, direct link uh, so that uh, uh, folks can uh, uh, follow along with the training that you have over at the Foundation Center. Great.
2: Well, thanks, Ted, for having me. Uh,
1: Jen, Bokoff, thank you so much for the Foundation Center minute. We look forward to having you uh, back here on the show again uh, next month. Now we will head right on over to page two. Laura Fredericks is the billion dollar ask maker powerhouse, uh, who, as CEO and founder of the Ask. Uh, trains people, nonprofits, and businesses on how to ask for money and get more of it. Uh, she is the first to combine the most trusted professions of law and philanthropy to show how anyone can raise money to unprecedented levels. Uh, she is the author of five books, uh, and her brand-new book, uh, which I have a, a copy of it here, and urge you to get a copy yourself, is the Ask uh, for uh, a Business for Philanthropy and for Everyday Living. Uh, the Ask is a very important book and certainly one you should have in your office, uh, particularly, uh, Laura, this time of year, uh, as uh, all of our listeners today uh, want to make sure that they're, they're making best use of their time uh, here during the holidays uh, to ask for the support that they need. But I also al- always think that it's also about planning for the future, what happens post-holidays. So welcome here to the nonprofit co- coach, Laura Fredericks.
4: Hi, Ted and everyone. Thrilled to be here. Yes, very important time of year we're at.
1: So let's start there. The, the book, a very important book, uh, Simply The ask. Um, But help me understand you're bringing together uh, these important uh, background, professional backgrounds that you have, uh, both law and philanthropy. Why is that significant? it's significant because you know i've written
4: other books on the ask, but my main goal for this one and i i lead with business philanthropy and everyday living is to show how anyone at any age living anywhere to ask for whatever they want in those categories because that encompasses everything can simply ask uh, with ease and it's just two sentences and a question and the reason why uh, law is is so important it's interesting, like we're talking about this, because just last week I was in Philadelphia doing my legal credits. We have to do 12 credits to maintain our lawyership, as I put it. And I'm sitting there, Ted, and the, and the man was talking about storytelling, mostly like storytelling in courts, how you present the case. And literally everything he was saying, I had in my book, which I was thrilled. And, and why law background is that it puts organization, structure, and focus into an area and asking, which is largely left with time, chance, and luck. So that's why law is so so important, why I utilize all those skills and just keep it very, very organized, structured, and focused so that anyone can ask simply and easily.
1: Well, of course, that, I think that's that's uh, one of the messages that comes across uh, very clearly in your book is this uh, uh, this concept of, being well organized um, as you're you're working towards the ask, but, but I actually want to back up from there because I want to deal with something probably sort of the 800 pound gorilla in uh, in the room uh, for a lot of my my listeners, um, and, and that is uh, is the ask can be scary for folks. I think oftentimes people sort of psych themselves out of being able to make the ask. So can we can we start there because I I think there's there 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 is without a doubt no one who is listening today who wants to be better at the ask, who understands that they need to be better at the ask if they're going to be successful. Um, but it, let, let's deal, deal with the fear factor. How, how do you train around that concept?
4: Well, that's, that's where we start, and that's where the book starts. And we, we always come down to, and I say, that no matter what question you have, it all involves money in, 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 in disguised forms. If you want someone to help, well, that might be time, and time is money. So when you think about it, every decision you make in your life is about money. So what is your relationship with money, and why aren't you asking? And so that's really where it begins, Ted, because everybody does projections and assumptions, which are the two worst things you can do in ask land of Laura. We are going to project that I'm going to make you upset by asking you something. We assume that you don't have that kind of money. Why should I begin? And that's really the reason, the number one reason I think people don't ask. And, and yes, there's fear, and, yes, they don't want to hear no, but I know that the number one reason people don't ask is they're not prepared for the response, and that's how I get you prepared so that I remove that fear.
1: Okay, so in the response, of course, uh, that you're sort of building up in, in your head is going to be uh, no. Um, well, so it is, is but is also,
4: also in the book, yeah. as you know, Ted, there's 15 things I've given you that could sound like no without being no. You know, why right. me, why now, what will it do, who else are you asking, didn't I yeah. give this before, on, 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 and all those are disguised no's. And so and rather God, than hear exactly. any of it, we don't ask, and again, we, we allow time, luck, and chance to fill in when you can simply ask and get you on your way.
1: That, that's right. Yeah, you have a whole chapter of that, why uh, people do not ask, the mm-hmm. top 15 reasons why people do not ask. Um, so it, not that we're going to go through all 15, but, but kind of give us the, 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 the high level of Uh, of this concept because, as you say, you you start the the book off uh, with this concept of, you know, what will the ask do for you? Mm -hmm. So you need to put yourself present in the moment um, and not divorce yourself uh, from being part of, of this answer, right? I mean, I, I exactly. Think right. Yes. It's a, it,
4: it's a group activity. The ask isn't one sided. The ask is very well, much a group participatory <laughs> involvement.
1: Well, and I think that's one of the things that's so brilliant about your book, because uh, I think that uh, a lot of folks, when they're in the ask are focused on the other person exactly. um, and focused on and almost answering for them and then sort of apologizing for making the ask rather than putting themselves as, as a participant. So what does that mean?
3: Well, what it
4: means is, in the 15 reasons people don't ask, and yes, number one, I put out fear and rejection. I still don't think that that is the number one, but number two is the one I love is you're not 100% committed to your ask. If anybody yeah. walking on this planet was 100% sure that what they asked for they're going to get it would just flow. There wouldn't even be a breath of distance between asking and getting. When you're 100% convinced that you want this, you deserve it, asking is an afterthought. You just do it. So right. that is, it's, to me, one of the biggest reasons why people don't ask, because they're actually playing the second-guessing game in their head, and they've talked themselves
1: out of doing it. They talk themselves out of being successful
4: exactly. uh,
1: in making the answer. And, and, Laura, I, you know, I often have said on, on this show, and, and we've, you know, we've covered this, this topic from a variety of different uh, uh, points of view, um, is that if you have properly developed the prospect, which means that you've spent the time doing education, you've spent the time actually knowing who you are speaking to. Not necessarily that you're their best friend, because you're probably not, um, but that you know them well enough. That that their commitment to the organization, their commitment to the cause, their interest in the cause, um, is great enough that it's less about the ask than it is sort of negotiating the terms of uh, the yes. Yes,
4: exactly right. And 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 you know, Ted, you know, we my expression is. The ask is a conversation. It's not a confrontation. I'm amazed when I, when I do my board trainings, when I speak with clients in the business world or whatever, that I just have a graphic, and, and let's just look at what that is. It's just a circle with pieces cut out like pie, like a pie chart, right? And the ask piece is the smallest it says, you know getting to know people, getting engaged, finding out their interests, matching their interests and in what you're going to offer. And the complete other side of the cycle is reengaging them, thanking them and starting all over. and they are stunned when they see that the smallest piece is the ask because it, it's just it just flows, it just happens. But in people's That's minds, right. that engagement, the ask, is the largest piece of that circle when it's actually quite no, the opposite..
1: Yeah, they built themselves up again to, uh, uh, I'm going to be told no, or I'm going to be embarrassed, or this is going to be... Exactly, uh, exactly. But that's the whole
4: point of this book, is to eliminate all of that. And I realize what's brand new in this book, Ted, as you know, there's 175 ways you can ask with just two sentences and a question. You don't need to share the equivalent of a Harry Potter novel with them so that they know every single inch of you, your organization. I think that sabotages asks, by the way. We over-ask the ask. But if we just show them throughout this book anything they want, kids to stop bullying you, your friends to help out with, your parents who are getting older, it's just two sentences and a question that begins the conversation. So in essence... You have conversations every single day with people. This is just an extension of that.
1: That's right. So, Laura, one of the things that that I think uh, will kind of help my audience today sort of come to terms with uh, some of these concepts that you're sharing with us today is you challenge uh, everyone, all of my listeners, all of your readers, uh, to sort of come to grips with their own comfort level with money.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, so
1: I do. Yes, you, I do. <laughs> were you raised to be comfortable about money? And, and I to, oh, I no, you, no,
4: I, no, 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 <laughs> no. I, I can tell you no. Um, listen, I was born and raised in Richfield, New Jersey, by a single mom. My, my dad left when, when we were I was eight, and uh, my mother worked, and, and we worked, and trust me, we were on welfare, and I, this was not easy. But what I realized was, for me, and this is why I have this in the book, is that money is opportunity. Now, I could have looked at it in a much, much different way. Money is terrible. It's debt. It's obligation. It's what we don't have. It's what the kids down the street have. It's why I don't go to summer camp. I would go all down the parade of horribles. But what I really realize and I feel very blessed, is that I realized – what money could do, what opportunity there was, the importance of giving back, which is why we're all in philanthropy. And, and you know, it doesn't matter, and I try to make that thing, it doesn't matter how you were raised, it matters how you feel about it now. You know, I challenge people, when you think of money, what's the first thing you think of? And then we've got to work through that. That's part of what I coach people. Let's work through that so that the only image you have in your central being is that money is an opportunity for you and anybody else.
1: That's right. So, so uh, the, the positive people, as you say in your book, view money as power, freedom, choices, change, opportunity. You, you have a, a whole list. But, but again, they're very positive sort of statements. Mm-hmm. But on the opposite side is you might have a sense of money being uh, related to debt and obligations mm-hmm. and loans, headaches, uh, divorce, uh, no health care, failure. So mm-hmm. so just and – and you can ask uh, no matter what your background or your view is, but you can't ask successfully if you're not in touch with your own view of money.
4: Exactly, Ted. And the way I found that out was, you know, I was halfway in my fundraising career, and I'm like – why is this easy? And I have to say, it's, it's easier for me than most people. And what it is is people think that this stuff doesn't come up when you ask, and it does. We, we want to find the right person, the right investor, the right product, the right charitable organization, and you just skip over yourself. But the problem is you can't be, a, when I put, I want to, everyone to be an exceptional asker, unless you work through that integral part first. And it comes up. That's- Ted, you've seen it. Your listeners have seen it. People who just talk through you, around you, beyond you, they're so happy they got it out, victory, let's go home, and the person looks like this, this person doesn't even care about me, this person doesn't care about themselves, and they don't care about the offer. And so it's gone. It's just absolutely gone. And in those circumstances, people don't say no, they just never give you an answer. And I think the worst thing about asking is if you never get an answer, that's worse to me than a no. At least if I have a no, I can work with something. But when you don't have an answer, that's worse.
1: That's right. That's right. And and for so our our listeners are now approaching uh, the holidays. Okay, and and a lot of asking is going to uh, take place during the holidays. Um, what what are some of the the biggest holiday asking mistakes?
4: Uh, assumptions. Okay, number one, we're going to assume that the world will sit down at their desks at like the stroke of seven o'clock on December 15th, and write you a check. Okay? okay. But, big, big assumptions. Yes, it's, it's majority of the time that people will start giving, but I always like, you know, Ted, we're all about the power of questions. You know, are you the type of person who makes an end of your gift in December? No, Laura, I do this in October. Oh, I'm sorry, I missed that cycle. Now it's November, you know, seventh. Can we talk about that? You see, it's like two sentences but, and a question. Big assumptions. You can't assume that just because you send three mailings you're gonna get something. Okay? So I like to get ahead of the game and say, where are we on your philanthropic priorities? Because if we're pretty low, you might have to do seven mailings or three phone calls. So number one is... Assuming that people will, in a mass quantity, write a check at like, you know, at a stroke of time, like December 15th. The other is, um, and a big thing, Ted, we should talk about, because I heard that on page one in the intro today, was where, where are we sitting now with all the disasters, natural and other, that have happened in the world, uh, particularly the United States? I'm seeing, unfortunately, a lot of people where we traditionally would ask people for an increased end-of-year gift, they're kind of just happy or thrilled if they get something because they're assuming that their donors gave to one or more of the hurricane or things that happened in Las Vegas or even even the shooting at the church this this past week. So I think the easier thing to do with your top folks and your good supporters is to ask them, you know, were you so generous to give to these efforts and will you consider giving to us as well? So I, I think really this is an extraordinary time. I don't think your listeners or you or I Ted have ever seen back to back disasters like we have in two thousand at the end of two thousand and seventeen.
1: Well, it certainly has affected a lot of lives, and I I think that uh, um, a lot of donors have been affected by that. But I I think you're right in making the assumption Mm -hmm. that that means that that they're not going to give to you, Mm -hmm. that that somehow... But what it really comes down to is is you're challenging uh, my listeners to actually have knowledge, to take the time to get to know their donors. And it doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily mean that, that you know every one of your fifty dollar donors the way that you should very well know your five thousand, fifty thousand, mm-hmm. million dollar donors. Um, but it does mean that there are tools available to us to pay attention to the, the giving cycle, when people mm-hmm. gave last, what did they give to? Are you testing different messages? Are you taking the time to get to know Your donors, whether they're large or small donors, however you define that, or are, as you're saying, are you making the decision for them, or are you assuming that they won't give, or are you assuming that they will give? Mm -hmm. So all of those things are important in the planning process of an ask.
4: It is, and, and I, I am very conscientious that a lot of your listeners and a lot of my readers come from small shops. I get this all the time. But, Laura, I'm not like you. But, Laura, I don't have a staff. And I get it. I absolutely get it. But this is where we have to be smart, effective, and efficient, and that is this is where our volunteers go from. And I can speak quite frankly because I'm on three boards. I believe, Ted, that we don't ask our boards and our advisory boards and our uh, young committee and our volunteers simply divide up the list of your people, let's say $1,000 or 10000 is your largest gift, whatever. Give those lists to people with a little bit of information and start making calls now saying, hello, how are you? Thanks so much. Um, can I talk to you just briefly about what you'd like to do with us? We'll have a design and a plan for you. And I think that's very important with those words. Every person, every person on this earth wants to know that an organization has a design and plan for me. Otherwise, I'm in the masses. I fall in your big database. I fall in your direct mail, and I'm not important. So by sharing this list, even if you're an organization of one, share these lists, do a little script. It's well worth your time, and spread it out to your volunteers, leadership, volunteers, even some other donors, and make calls. I love to do this, and I always do it, my secret for you folks, first week of December is the best week to reach people this time of year. You're post-Thanksgiving, you're post-Giving you know, Tuesday, but you're not so crazy about the holidays. Anytime beyond that magical time, people are a little crazy, shopping, traveling, and doing end-of-year catch-up. So I just tell everybody, put X's on your calendar, and that would be December 4th through the 8th. Distribute these lists and just get people. And, and they can be used for thank yous. Thank you for already giving to us, or thank you for coming to the event, but spread it around. Just spread it around.
1: Well, that's where I wanted to go, and and we're going to take a very quick break, and when we come back, I really want to talk about the power of thank you, uh, both as a professional, but also uh, tips on how to engage your volunteers who might be afraid to make the ask, but wow, it's so much easier uh, to say thank you. And we'll be uh, right back uh, after this quick break. quick calendar note here, grab your calendar, Uh, Penelope Burke will be back here on The Nonprofit Coach, of course, uh, bringing us the results of the 2017 Burke Donor Survey Report. You need this information, uh, and she is going to be live here on The Nonprofit Coach November 21st. So grab your calendar and make sure that you're going to be here uh, to uh, listen to all of the data and the insights that we get each year uh, from uh, from, uh, Penelope Burke. And we'll be right back.
3: Have you ever wished you could take back an email you sent to the wrong person? Or have that nagging feeling that your confidential message was forwarded without your consent? Do you sometimes email sensitive data even though you know most email is insecure? We all have. Because we're busy. And because in the world of email, there are no takebacks. Until now. Introducing Virtue. The simple way to send and receive secure email with confidence. Virtrue is easy to install and use, and it works with your favorite email programs like Gmail, Outlook, Yahoo, MacMail, and more. When you hit the Send Secure button, your email is encrypted before it leaves your computer or smartphone. And even better, you can revoke a message at any time. You decide whether a message can be forwarded by recipients. You can track where your message is forwarded, and more. Download Virtrue today and start sharing with confidence. Because everyone deserves digital privacy and security without hassle.
0: Remember, our podcasts and archives are always available 24 hours a day at tedhart.com. Click on radio links. If you're listening live today, the phone lines are open. Call in and ask a question by dialing 347-324-3080. Now, back to The Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart.
1: And we're back here live with Laura Fredericks and her uh, terrific uh, book that uh, I'm holding up here on Facebook. Uh, this is The Ask. Uh, you can follow along at facebook.com forward slash uh, Ted Hart. And we have posted, uh, Laura, uh, the link to expert on expertontheask.com. Expert on the Ask is you, Laura Fredericks. So before we went on the, the break, I, I sort of teased a little bit that I want to come back and talk about the power of thank you in the ask. So it's both planning that thank you before the ask, understanding what that might look like, but also you were talking about, and you brought up um, getting volunteers involved. And while there, you know, even someone who's afraid to make the ask Mm -hmm. is not afraid to call and say, thank you for your support. But then you learn so much in that conversation, you're setting it up for the ask. Exactly. Exactly.
4: And you laid it out beautifully. I mean, I, Uh, When you take a look at any volunteer base, I always say it's the rule of three. There's a third of the group that will love to write and call but will never ask. There's a group that maybe kind of wants to learn at it but they don't really know. And there's a group that wants to ask. But everybody, everybody, every volunteer loves to say thank you. And I just tell them quickly, and it's how you do it. So let's line this up for your listeners here, Ted. When you call people, if you say, I'm from... American Heart Association, what is the first thing they're going to think? You're going to ask me for money. So rather than say that, lead with your title. So I say, I'm Laura Fredericks. I'm a board member. I just want to uh, thank you for your gift and learn a little bit about you if you have time. Just blurt it very quickly out. Uh, That'll get you great success. Everyone will give you a few minutes because everybody wants to be thanked. Now you relax. Everybody's shoulders goes down. So when we're lining up, Volunteers for Success, title, I want to learn about you, and and to thank you very quickly. So that will set you up.
1: Um, Well, and they also respond to the fact that they they understand that as a volunteer, you didn't have to do this. Exactly. And 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 at a high level. I mean, when you
4: get a call from a board member, that's That's pretty important because everyone has – Probably uh, the same image of a board member being very successful in the business world and very, very busy. And so when you get that call, it says, I matter and I'm important, and that's one of the best stewardship things you can do for any organization. And again, board members will do this. Any any size, age, shape, longevity, uh, your emeritus board members, which I think also are very forgotten, bring them to make some calls and spread it around. And, and it's very important for people who are in small organizations or have a staff of zero. This is where we want to okay. use volunteers. And the power of the thank you sets you up for the power of the ask because it will be the okay. next step. Because what you're asking, and these are great asks, Ted, are questions. How are you? What, what was, why did you give to us? How did you learn about us? What is the one thing you think we do well? What is the one thing we can improve? Are you the type of donor that likes events or not events? Uh, would you like to come to something? Now, that's about eight things I just asked, and people don't view those
1: as asks, but they are. That's right. That's right. So what's the next step after that thank you call that sets it up so beautifully for an ask?
4: The best thing is to make sure that your volunteer uh, records some of the information they get, and gets it back to your database. Do you know what I mean? Because a lot of times these people have great conversations. They learn about who's volunteered and where else they give and what experiences are good. But you've got to turn around and get that information back to the organization, put it back in the database. And then hopefully, you know, now we are starting to build little portfolios for your board members and volunteers. And they can That's be right. part of it with you as you're building up to the monetary ask.
1: That's right. Because you're never going, as, as, as I've shared so many times, you're never going, it doesn't matter how big your organization is, so forget about how small you are, you're never going to have enough paid staff to make all the asks and make all the thank yous. No. And you're no. never going to be as relevant uh, to your donors as a volunteer will be because mm-hmm. even – no matter how good you are, you are still paid to do that work. Exactly. So having the ability to harness the power of your volunteers is an incredible skill set.
4: And, and one of the things, like, like I, I tell people, you know, in, in gearing up to ask whether you're on a business board or a nonprofit board is the number one thing that's so effective when you ask for money, if you do this ahead of time, share your story. Why that's did right. you join this board? Out of the 1.6 million registered charities, over the billion corporations you could have been with, why did you join this board? But That's I got to cool. yeah, tell them, you know, and, and for folks out there, Put it out in like a sentence or two. Don't say, "Well, you know, Laura, when I was just a young girl and I was crossing the stream, (laughs) I thought to myself, I think ecology and clean water were so." (laughs) And there we go. And you just lose the people. Just say, lead with a verb. I have a privilege to be on this board because you know community theaters are the lifeblood of our, our of our neighborhood. Just something like that. Something that's going to invite them to say, wow, that's great, but please, 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 no matter what business or nonprofit board you're on, share your story.
1: And as I've shared on, on this show many times, share your passion.
4: You know, yeah. Why
1: do you show up to those board meetings? You don't have to. Why mm-hmm. do you volunteer to give your time? You don't have to. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what is it that keeps coming to you back? You know, it, is it you know that kid that you met in the emergency room, and you know that that they needed help, or as, mm-hmm. as you said, you know community theater, or whatever it might be. What makes you keep coming back and say this matters? Because if it matters to you that much, then you are going to be a great person to make the ask, because your passion is contagious. Right,
4: and you know, Ted. You know, sometimes I think in, in philanthropy fundraising, we go through cycles. And I don't know if you or your listeners have seen this, but way back in the late 90s, early 2000s, we did a very good job of making sure that at each board meeting or committee meeting, we had we had a beneficiary, we had someone who benefited, we had someone that made the mission come alive. Just come and talk to the group. And we fell off of that somehow. I think we got too busy, too sophisticated, too focused on social media, to cause-effect marketing, and on. I want to get us back there, because of all the groups that I counsel and all the boards that I train, I said, when was the last time you had a donor come in for five minutes and thank you and say, this is why you make a difference? And I don't Mm -hmm. know if you've seen that, but we have to get back to that, because that's a thank you to a board member who's a donor, by the way. But that's why that's one of the reasons, Ted, that you just beautifully laid out. That's why they keep coming back. They keep coming back because they know the work they do is important and they're touching lives. Well, why don't you let them see it and bring somebody in and show them Because of you, like my child was saved, because of this, I feel so safe or so secure. Because of this, you're the cheerleader. You're the advocate for us to have clean water and safe pets and on and on. Let them hear it from the outside of all the work you're doing. But we've fallen off of that, and I really, really encourage every group to get back to
1: that. Even if you can't have the, the person there, share a letter. Yeah. Um, of someone who wrote in and they said thank you. It's, it's just a very genuine way. I'll give you, give you an example. I, as, as my listeners know, I have the, the privilege of uh, serving as president and CEO of CAF America and the president of CAF Canada. And we recently had a board meeting for uh, CAF Canada. Uh, and we fund uh, projects all over the, the world. Uh, and we had this uh, group of women in India uh, who wrote in and said thank you, but also sent a picture. Uh, and it's a picture that really uh, captured the imagination of the board and just sort of warmed their hearts because one of the things that, that, that we've learned, unfortunately, is if you uh, are a, a widow in India, oftentimes uh, you have nothing. You are out on the street. Your husband is, is gone. You have no resources and you're literally uh, pushed into uh, deep poverty and there's not a, a strong support system. Uh, for that, so a lot of these widows sort of will gather together. Well, one of the, the programs that we uh, fund uh, provides a goat uh, to each of these widows, and it's goats for widows. Um, wow. And they're they're able uh, to, of course, you know, get the milk, make cheese, um, and uh, and they're able to sometimes sell the milk and, and sell the cheese to uh, to help themselves. So a group, uh, this group got uh, several of the, the women together with their goats. Uh, and wow. sent us a picture and, and you know, that, uh, a picture you know, has a thousand words
3: uh, mm-hmm. in this case.
1: Um, it really told the story of just how vital it is and the lives th- that were changed were in that, that photo. Um, so those kinds wow. of things, as, as you're pointing out, uh, can go a long way. Laura, I, I noticed that we have less than 20 minutes together. Uh, left. The time is just flying by. Oh, and sadly. We,
4: Only 20 minutes, Ted. <laughs> oh, we could keep going all afternoon.
1: <laughs> oh, my goodness. We, we definitely have to have you back. But but I was wondering if you would mind uh, if we sort of uh, ended uh, with a, sort of a, concretely going through your top 10 best asking tips. And I'll share each one of them uh, with you and just ask you to sort of quickly reflect in a minute or two on each one of these. And number one is money is opportunity. Embrace it make it your mantra, and push away any other thought that comes creeping in and sets you up for doubt or failure. So money is opportunity. Why is that important? Ask, Tim.
4: Like we said before, once you resolve what money means to you, and no matter what it is, You only think of money as opportunity instantaneous. It's going to – because every decision you have involves money. Whatever it is, even asking for help involves money. You're going to be 100% committed to your ask, 100% committed that you deserve it and that this is an opportunity that you just have to share so that you have to ask.
1: Okay. And for those of you who already are fortunate to have Laura's book, um, I'm over on two, uh, page 203, if you want to follow along. Uh, number two is the quality of your life is determined by the quality of the questions you ask yourself and others. This is so my favorite say, mantra,
4: a, my absolute favorite mantra, because once you ask great questions, you're just leading it right up to the ask. And and for a lot of our listeners, two of the, to the questions, my favorite are... Um, where are we on your philanthropic priorities and for people business minded where are we on your business priorities and the second is when and if you make this gift when and if you make this investment how can we fulfill your expectations now it resolves so much conversation so quality questions lead to a quality life
1: Yeah, and and that's going to also lead to uh, a a very meaningful uh, discussion that you're going to have. So number three is whenever you ask, uh, and we mentioned this before, but let's drive this home, uh, you should be 100% committed uh, with absolute certainty that this is what you want for your organization, your business, your personal growth, uh, and your happiness. Why? This really comes into, as
4: you know, Ted, this book is – is a a third, a third, a third in business philanthropy, everyday living, and I personally put this in here because we don't ask for things that we want in our personal life. Like if you want more time with the person that you're committed with, if you want less time with the person you're committed with, if you need help, if you want your children to do more, on and on. This is why people don't ask is because they think they don't deserve it. I'll just do it myself. It doesn't matter. Don't burden them on and on. But when you're committed that, I need this free time to take Take up a hobby or go to the gym twice a week. If you are 100% convinced that you need this and you deserve it, you'll ask, particularly in the personal area.
1: That's right. Number four, people leave clues, and we miss every one of them.
4: I love this. I love this. So let's go through this. You're, you're meeting someone, and you want to find out if they want to make an investment with a gift. On, and they turn to you instantly and say, Ted, what do you need? And you start going, well, you know this organization in 1991 was so good, and, we've, and you've missed it. And what they're saying is, what do you want from me? And that's when you ask. Or what do you need from me? Sense. How can I help? And donors leave clues. There's the biggest one right in front of you. You just jumped. You hurtled right over it.
1: Yeah, let me give a, a quick uh, example uh, uh, of that. So uh, I was uh, at one uh, part, uh, one, one point in my career – uh, the uh, uh, Chief Development Officer for a very large Medical center, uh, and this was a medical center that had uh, decided uh, to build a new cancer center and so you know massive amounts of money that needed to uh, be raised for that cancer center and so of course, you know we certainly were hoping that our largest donors would uh, would give to uh, this cancer center, but I had this particular donor, and in listening, uh, of course, he was committed, and he would do what we asked, because he was committed to the institution itself, but when listening to him and talking to him, it was very clear to me that uh, his mom was extremely important. Uh, she had passed. Um, she, she had come from nothing and, and had really worked very, very hard, and it became very clear to me that honoring her uh, was something that would be very meaningful to him. And, it, and, and listening, and this is, I think, where, where you're like, where are the clues here? Certainly, I could have just been single-minded and said, cancer, cancer, cancer. This woman did not have an experience uh, with cancer at all. Um, however, music was extremely important uh, mm-hmm. to her, um, and we had a music therapy program. And Mm -hmm. why did it become meaningful in listening and hearing that the music therapy program was far more important? He would give more and give more often and honor his mom in doing so than just shoehorning him into a pre described reason why we wanted the money to go a particular place that was not as meaningful to him. So, is that part of what you're talking about? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And that
4: gets right into number five why everything is too. Every ask is two sentences and a question because, Ted, you need to talk 25% of the time. They need to talk 75 And when you keep it short, crisp, simple, to the point, and end with a question, the other person speaks. And if you weren't a superior listener and heard the music piece, you wouldn't have received anything.
1: That's right. And one of the ways that, that I often, is I, when I'm doing uh, training, I, I try to help people remember that because I think sometimes – people get they're so hyped up to make the ask and they're mm-hmm. like okay I got the ask out and they just keep talking and they they almost start negotiating themselves out of the gift they, yep. they give all the excuses for the person they don't give them uh, any opportunity to reflect or or just think about what was just asked of them is is as you say yeah, the ask is two sentences and a, as a question and what I try to help people understand is then just shut up and listen <laughs> I and know one of the ways one of the ways that you remember to do that is after you've made the ask, you've got your two sentences on a question, you make the ask, the next person to speak makes the gift.
4: That's right. And, and I always say if you speak next, you walk away with no money. That keeps them silent. Yep.
1: <laughs> <laughs> or, or, you know, you're going to have to make the gift. So are you prepared to make the gift? That's or did right. you really ask someone else to make the gift? So let them talk.
4: I know. I know it's very hard, which is why I end it with a question because it's logical and you don't have to think about it. So, so yeah, it's very very important.
1: So number six, I love number six. I'm just going to set this up uh, before I read what what you've written here uh, because I often uh, try to help people understand is that you know being a nonprofit profit organization needing money is not enough. Uh, needing money, get in line. Everybody needs money, and what you're saying is, in number six is don't assume that since you deserve it you don't have to ask for it. Mm-hmm. In other words, I, you know, I, I, we're so needy, people should just give. Uh, exactly. That, that they're just going to understand that. That's not how it works, is it?
4: It's not. And, you know, I was uh... – actually had a session it was in long island for risk management managers if you can imagine and this guy thinks that i'm just crazy and i don't know what i'm talking about and he said listen i i just take my clients out to the golf course and i give them a, a big buffet spread and i do all this and i i don't have to ask and they, they just know to do the right thing and i and i said <laughs> i said um how's that working for you i said when you left tell tell me three things you know about one person that you didn't know prior to this big golf outing and he couldn't and I said you're not spending the right time with them and you are assuming that all this stuff is going to somehow plant a seed in their head that will motivate them at a magical time to give to your charity. I said, it doesn't work that way. I said, how much money did you walk away with? He said, zero. I said, because you didn't ask. And so it's just right. a great illustration that all this fill-in-the-blank activity is great, but if you don't ask, you
1: will get zero. That's right. Well, and, and, and the, the other thing that, that, that I think is true um, and I often uh, share with people is that um, you know, without making the, the ask uh, appropriately, if you're sort of leaving clues and you're sort of expecting that they're going to give, is you're leaving money on the table um, oh, because you might in fact you might in fact get uh, a gift. And I and I often refer that as sort of go away money.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, it's not a serious gift. It's not the thoughtful gift. It's, will you, will you leave me alone, uh, here's some money, and if I give, write a check, will you go away? Um, but a serious fundraiser, a serious organization, doesn't want go-away money. They want serious money.
4: They do, and the other thing is, Ted, we don't want one and done. Go-away money right. is good, good, here, just go, uh, fine. And so wh- where did that get you? Nothing.
1: What, are yeah. you going to keep well, chasing a thousand okay of those each year? <laughs> now, whoa, whoa, wait, wait a minute, Laura. You mean it's not okay to say, if you'll give, we'll never ask again? No, it's not. Because what you know what that is, says? Does that leave it please make Do You know an what investment, that says? Uh, that in, uh, you never needed we'll it,
4: take- that you're not serious <laughs> about it, and you're not a forward-moving yeah. organization. Because if you don't need right. additional money, you're dead in the water.
1: Yeah, but there's so many people who think, you know, well, I'll make this asking, I'll tell them I won't ever ask again. But what you're really saying, what the donor, what a serious person is hearing is, please make an investment in us, we'll take your money, and you'll never hear from us again.
4: Exactly. And, and you know what? You're very <laughs> low on our, on our list, so thank you very much, but we're moving on.
1: We're moving on. So number seven, your ask will go well if the person you are asking knows, likes, and trusts you.
4: The biggest question I always get, Ted, is like, did we pick the right person? And you know, the horrible situations, and I've got many – where people are like, oh, this is a million-dollar ask. The CEO has to do it. Well, in hindsight, that might be pretty good, but does the person you're asking know, like, and trust the CEO? I can okay. give you so many examples of how this did not go well because organizations, my client, put a top person in there, and the person they're asking money for, a big, big investment, they never met. They have to know, like, and trust. Keep it simple. And if it's the staff person, it's the staff person. If it's the staff on the board, that's fine. But it's just the litmus test is know, like, trust.
1: That's right. Well, and one of the things that we've shared on this show many times, just to to try to help, and, again, we have uh, a lot of nonprofit executives who are often either the development officer or the executive director but they are involved in this process, is there's a reason why uh, there is a difference between being a development officer and being the fundraiser
2: Mm -hmm. because
1: many, many sometimes as the development officer, you are also the fundraiser. But if you are truly developing the opportunities for people to give, if you are truly developing the process through which people can give and through which they can make their philanthropic investments, then you are not necessarily always the right person to make the ask, but you should know, as you say, who is this person going to know, like, and trust? Right. They're the ones who should make the ask. And that's exactly. a good development officer who's going to know the answer to that and mm-hmm. not say, I need every ask. Exactly. Number eight, may we be your next largest investment. Is a great <laughs> This ask. came
4: at a huge, huge time for me way back. I learned this one early in my career in the 90s. I was at working for Deborah Heart and Lung, and there was a very grateful patient named Mary. And Mary was great. Every time I saw her, she gave us $25,000. And my boss said, go see Mary every day. I'm like, does it work that way? Well, Mary and I were, were talking on and on, and I didn't get to the ask soon enough, because back then we were let, letting a lot of time. It's going to be a big ask, $250,000. I need more time. When I finally got to it, Ted, she said two words you never want to hear, and those are, oh, dear. Uh, The church had come the week before, and Mary was doing the roof to the church. Now, fabulous, philanthropic Mary is terrific, but I sat there, and in a split second, and I'll never forget this, it was 1996, I said to her, Mary, may we be your next largest gift? And she said, of course. Now, if I had not done that how many groups would have come between me and Mary for the duration of the time she was doing the roof? And so whenever you do ask, and the person says, quote, I'm tapped out, I can't do it, I'm pledged out, on and on, you hear no when you can get in there and say, well, let us be the next one, and there you are.
1: That's right. And, and, and sort of a, a, a corollary to that almost, I think, is, is understanding, and truly understanding, <laughs> that when you're asking for money, particularly at that level, so however you define a large gift, whoever are your large donors, you're not the only one asking. No. And every single time you go and make the ask, the person that is on the other side of that table has baggage. And that baggage Mm -hmm. is their expectation of how the ask is going to go. And maybe it's gone well for them in the past. Maybe it's been a disaster. Maybe they thought they would be thanked and they weren't. So, you, you have to engage in a discussion to know not just can they afford it, but also are they committed to your organization enough to invest at that level? But also, right. what baggage do they bring to the table that is important for you to understand to close the gift? Mm-hmm. And, exactly. and it sounds complicated. It sounds complicated. And, and I suppose on some levels, maybe it is. But more importantly, it's about being a good listener and a genuine listener. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. So number nine, keep it simple. Don't over-ask your ask.
4: That's why I keep it two sentences in the question and also watch paper. We haven't talked about paper on the show, but I am not a believer of any paper during the ask. Have it with you as a leave-behind piece, but you're going to over-ask it with paper, and that means you're showing page 2 and 20 and 4 and drawings and Laughing children and on and on and on. I want to read your body language. I want to see your eye contact, and that's why okay. I end it with the question. So you're not over talking it. You're going to confuse them. Why? This is the number one reason you don't get in an answer is because they don't know what they're answering because you've overtalked it.
1: That's right. That's right. And and oftentimes you're going to make excuses for them or you're going to get nervous. But you and that's where assumptions people. come in, it's, Ted. We're just assuming they never wanted to
4: do it anyway, so they're not answering me.
1: Right, right. So And you brought up paper, uh, and I just want to say I think just one of the, the cardinal rules is never leave a blank uh, donor form behind and say – Send this in when you can.
4: Oh, please shoot me. Just shoot me if I see that one more time. No, 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 no.
1: Go back. Engage. um, (laughs) Have them verbally tell you what they would like to do and then confirm. But if you leave a blank donor form behind, don't be surprised when it stays blank.
4: And you've insulted them. Again, there's no design for me. It doesn't matter.
1: Right, exactly. So number ten. The most difficult yet rewarding asks are the ones you ask of yourself.
4: And that's my favorite chapter, which is the tenth chapter. is the hardest ask you'll ever make. And think about it: ask for forgiveness, for patience, for creativity, for spirituality, for space, anything. And I'm going to leave it to your 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 listeners and my readers. In that I would never ask you anything unless I asked it back. And I take you through my journey of my hardest asks, but they are indeed the hardest ones. And we ask ourselves all the time, but we don't follow it through. And I show you how to do that.
1: Laura Fredericks, thank you so much for being my guest here on The Nonprofit Coach. This was just brilliant and timely. We've posted expert on the Ask.com. But please share with my listeners any other way that they can be in contact with you.
4: You got it, Ted.
1: All right. Thank you so much for being my guest. Be back here. Do not miss the opportunity uh, to uh, uh, to learn from L. Burke. We have the, per- the Burke Donor Survey here next on The Nonprofit Coach. Thanks so much.
0: You've been listening to The Nonprofit Coach Radio Show with Ted Hart. Tell all your friends to check out our production schedule and download our iPod and iPad-friendly podcast at tedhart.com. Thanks for listening to The Nonprofit Coach.